I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dorothea Benton-Frank, New York Times bestselling author and author of Queen Bee. That's her new book. Bookkeeper Holly McNee Kenson lives quietly in a world of her own on Sullivan's Island, tending her hives and working at the local island library. Holly calls her mother the Queen Bee because she's a demanding hulk of a woman. Her mother, a devoted hypochondriac, might be unaware that she's quite ill, but that doesn't stop her from tormenting Holly. In her 20th novel, Dorothea Benton Frank brings us back to her beloved island with an unforgettable story, story where the low country magic of the natural world collides with the beat of the human heart. In 2015, uh, Dorothea was inducted into the South Carolina Academy of Authors and has been honored many times for her work, raising awareness about domestic violence and for her community service. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Thank you. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Great to have you. First question, why do you think that your your books and 20 uh, are so popular. What, what's a you? You obviously hit a nerve with with the uh, with uh, with us. So, <laughs> uh, and what nerve do you know. hit? You know, I mean, I, I think you know. I write about things that are bothering me because I think if they're bothering me, maybe they're bothering you. Or I write about things that I don't know anything about, so that I can learn about them, that I can tell you about them, that you can learn about them too. You know, people say that people read my books not to lose themselves, but to find themselves. And that's interesting because it's fiction, and you choose obviously you, ch- you choose fiction over nonfiction. So that's you know that kind of uh, a background is 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 different um, in terms of people finding themselves. So l- let's talk about that. I mean, I think that's an interesting that's an interesting point. People find themselves in your novels. Yeah. So I mean, let's take Queen Bee for example. So suddenly you turn around and everybody you know is a beekeeper. Everybody has a beehive except you. And you're like, why do all these people have beehives? What in the world is going on? Why should I even care about this? And so as you read the story, you realize that if you don't care about honeybees, we're all going to die. Right? So it's pretty important. But people will read my book to hear a whole other story and that in addition to it. So I always try to, to have some takeaway value in my stories. Do, do so you what kind of research book, do you, you, say, you say do? Yourself, and you're well, so right about the bees I, because you know I just went to a friend's house and they had this whole bee thing going on. So I thought, oh, yeah, I and I, I'm not. But so, what kind of research do you have to do? Even I mean, you are writing a novel, but there's you know obviously you're covering a very important topic. So how does that work? Well, it works the way you might imagine. I mean, you have to go and read about bees, right? Ad nauseum. And you have to learn everything that you can. And then you have to use that information with an eyedropper because my reader doesn't want a lecture. You know, they want a story. So I drop it in here and there. So that by the end of the story, you know an awful lot more about bees than when you started. And it was fun learning about it is what you're saying at the same time, yeah, right? You've got a story. It's not, yeah, not reading somebody's research project. That's great. So exactly. You, I mean, you always, you obviously made a decision to write um, fiction as opposed to nonfiction. And, and why, what, what, what made you decide to do that like 20 books ago? I think that because there was really nothing um, in, in the genre of women's general fiction that was funny. Right. So, I mean, there are a lot, there are a lot of great writers. I mean, like Ann Tyler. I mean, there are a lot of people who write wonderful women's books, but um, they're not funny. 
You know, they're not necessarily entertaining, and sometimes they're depressing. So when it's all over with, who are you going to read after you've read Anita Shreve or after you've read somebody, you know, really super serious? Right? Yeah. yeah. And what do you take to the beach? Very, uh, women's books are sad or, or you know, there's, they're, they're greed. Yeah, you're right. They're not funny, and that, that's very true. So that makes yours, your books, your novels unique, different. But then you started out, I'm always interested in the history of it. I mean, you started out writing, as I understand it, like when you were in your 40s. I mean, something I happened was. I was to you 43. in your own 43? Okay, so what was going on in your life? Here you are doing, talk about what you were doing, and then in your <laughs> 43, you decide, okay, I'm going to start writing, because there's a whole story uh, there. I want to hear it. Yeah, This is a story, yeah, for sure. So, you know, when you change your life in midstream, there's usually a reason why, and there are things that come together that tell you that you must, you have to make this change. It becomes very obvious to you. These are things you have to do. And so I was... Um, back in college, finishing my undergraduate degree for like the fifth or sixth time, and um, I wrote a short story. And so to get out of this class, uh, I had to do a public reading. So I did my public reading, and I got, a, you know, I got an A-plus on it. And so the president of the college came over to me, and he said, so I'm going to put the curse on you. You're a writer. And I'm like, oh, Jack, you know, you're very nice. He's like, no, 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 you really, you are a writer. You need to stop doing all this volunteer work and go, go write and make money, and, and then you want to give the money back to all the charitable causes that you like. Well, then that's fine, but you really should be writing. And I'm like, okay. Well, at the same time, my mother was dying, and my mother died very quickly from a melanoma. Let this be a warning to everybody out there who's on the beach with that sunscreen. Please put something to cover your skin. It's very important. And so I took this, uh, well, so my mother died, right? So she ultimately dies. And I said to my husband, I'd really love it if you'd buy the house for us on Sullivan's Island in South Carolina because it's been in my family for 150 years. And he said, not happening. And I said, excuse me. And he said, no, if you think I'm going to spend the rest of my life sitting on your mama's porch, listening to all y'all tell the same stories over and over again, I'm not doing it. I said, really? Well, guess what? I'm going to write a book. I'm going to sell a million copies. I'll buy mama's house back and you can't come in. So I did. <laughs> that's what happened. So, but it's, it's that's one how thing my career to say began. that. I mean, it's really. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about it. Like, did you really? I mean, you had to believe in yourself because there are so many, you know, authors who people tell them they've got it, they can do it, but then they never are quite able to do it. So I'm always interested. And also, your husband said, "Hey, you know, I'm not going to buy this house for you." So you're saying I'm going to sell a million copies? How? How yeah. did you? I mean, it's it's still. Yeah, Catherine. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, when the last time is you went through Books a Million or you know a Barnes and Noble or any big bookseller and looked at all the titles on the shelves. There is so much junk that gets published, I figured I wouldn't do too badly. I I wasn't smart enough to know that I'm not supposed to be able to sit down, write a book, and sell it, right? So I did it anyway. Yeah, yeah, you did it. So, all right, you did it. And then now tell us really specifically how you did it. What kind of a person, how, you know, how do you, what do you think about, as you say, there is topics you're interested in. So you take those topics, research them, and then put them in the context of a, of a novel that's upbeat, fun, something somebody wants, you know, women, everybody actually wants to read. Um, do you go and lock yourself in your room and, or do you, when you first come up with the topic or, or what, how does that happen? 
You know, I mean, every, every book happens differently. I remember when I was writing the Hurricane Sisters, I was looking for a topic um, of something where South Carolina really shines, you know, something that South Carolinians do really well. And I kept saying, what is South Carolina number one at in the Google? And, you know, and it came back with domestic violence. And I said, what? And so, yeah, and I, I thought, I've made my living for the last 20-something years on the glories of South Carolina and the low country. But what was this story? You know, I didn't know anything about domestic violence at the time. So I began to research it. And sure enough, South Carolina is the number one state in the country where more, more women die at the hands of their, you know, husbands, our ex-husbands, our lovers, our ex-lovers. Um, and 60% of those deaths happen with handguns. And, you know, it's, so it's just a whole big mess to look into and, and to see what's going on. So, yeah, so I, I thought I didn't know a thing about this. So if I didn't know this, you probably didn't know this, right? And how does domestic violence happen anyway? Because, you know, it goes across every kind of, you know, socioeconomic description you can think of. It, it doesn't care about race or religion or anything. I mean, it happens everywhere. So I set out to find, um, find out how an ordinary woman like me could find out or identify if my daughter, my cousin, my niece, my neighbor, my friend was in trouble. And there is, there is a pattern of behavior. So, you know, that's all interwoven in this story along with a lot of other things. So what in your, is there anything in your own background? I know you're married. You've been married for a long time, 30 years, maybe oh, longer. years. <laughs> no, there's, you know, praise God, I have no domestic violence, um, except a little argument over what kind of real estate we're going to own. But yeah. <laughs> other than that, we, there's no violence in my life, thank God. But it's, it's too frightening. Yeah. What too about the reaction? I would run away. I mean, I would definitely run away. to your book, uh, your husband's reaction and your children's reaction to your writing um, and the type of books that you that you produce that you write well my husband his general his general reaction is well that's what she's thinking about right now <laughs> my kids my kids are you know because this is my 20th novel this is like now no longer something that I might be doing for fun this is very serious um, you know so they're very excited in fact my daughter and I just sold our first children's book that comes out next next summer called Teddy Spaghetti Teddy Spaghetti hey that's cool Teddy like Spaghetti that. yeah coming soon to your town with meatballs yep. That's great. So, and then how did you get your daughter involved? Because was she a writer or was she doing something else? She needed a job, okay? And she's a really good writer. And I was like, what are you doing? I mean, you're working at, you know, this store and she was working for anthropology and all this other stuff. And I said, you know, you're crazy. You know, you need to sit down, harness all your power and put it on the page. And so, by golly, don't you know she's pretty good at it? And she's good at it when she's with you, I assume, because that takes a she's whole... She's good at it on her own, too. Yeah. <clears throat> she has an adult book that's nearly finished, which I think is as good or better than anything I've ever written. And your so husband... I'm excited for her. Is, I, is an investment banker? My husband is, yes. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, a 180 from writing books, isn't it? It's interesting. <laughs> that you, yeah. 
<laughs> he, you know, he buy, he buys distressed properties, right, for a, for a fund out of uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. And he says his, his favorite thing to say is that, well, when he walks into a room and he introduces himself, everybody in the room goes, oh, God, and they start brushing up their resume, you know. And when I walk in the room, everybody goes, yippee, she's here. You know? So he, he would really like to have my life sometimes. <laughs> well. I, I think you probably balance each other. I would imagine. Yeah, I would see. We it would do, seem to me that that would be easier than having two writers or two investment bankers. I think it would be, you know, sort of a, no. a better situation to, you know, be able to balance one another out, right? Right. How, right. I yeah, think how so. much? T- and you also live in. I mean, looking at your history, like you or your bio, you live in New Jersey, and then you go back and forth from t- New Jersey to, uh, to South Carolina. Yes, to Sullivan's Island, where I am right now this morning. That's a big difference, Sullivan's Island and and uh, New Jersey. Uh, so May you, I tell you? Yeah, it is a yeah. huge difference. I mean, I'm sitting here in my little tiny itty bitty office. It's not even ten ten by ten. It's smaller, and um, but I'm looking out across the water at Fort Sumter, and I'm wondering to myself, what were all those guys thinking on the eve of the revolution and then the beginning of the civil war and all, I mean, what would you die for? You know, you look, you look at this and you, you're struck by the thousands and thousands of people who gave their lives. So, yeah. yeah. So I think about that. It makes me brave. Yeah. History. Uh, well, I'm a yeah. New Englander, so I came from the, I'm from the, I'm one of those, <laughs> uh, Maine, actually, so uh, that's that's sort I of the other Maine. end, but yeah. Wicked, but, wicked good blueberries. <laughs> yeah, but my next question, born and raised in Sullivan's Island, what was that like growing up in, in a, a... Pretty um, sleepy. Yeah. Sleepy? You know, it was pretty, pretty sleepy. I mean, I just read something in the news this morning that some fool drove his pickup truck over the sand dunes and into the ocean last night around 2 o'clock in the morning and I thought to myself, you know, he's an idiot. Obviously not from here. I mean, you, know, you don't drive over the sand dunes right in your truck. Um, those kinds of things didn't really happen too much when I was a kid. I mean, the big, the big deal when I was a kid was getting out of shoes and putting on flip-flops. Yeah. A whole different era. Yeah, yeah very different now. And Completely then also, that, what about the internet because I'm thinking about the internet in terms of like writing your novels um how has that changed because you started writing at 43 so it's been and you know 20 novels later I assume the process has changed with the with you know how you have yeah I mean I do I do a lot of I do a lot of research on the internet like right now I'm um I'm looking at birds of prey and so I'm downloading a lot of stuff from Audubon and from um, other sources, uh, you know, about birds of prey and birds of prey in South Carolina and endangered birds in South Carolina. But I'm also reading, you know, I like to, I like to read on the page and then I'll also be, you know, out in the field doing a lot of bird research with, with some friends of mine here who are serious birders. Like, who knew? But anyway, they've got very expensive binoculars, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've never been out in the, the woods looking at birds. Yeah, well, birders are really serious people. They go around oh, the world, definitely. the ones that I've known, oh, yeah. to find yeah the most obscure or a bird, I guess, that other people have never discovered yet. And I guess that still happens, right? It does. Uh, it absolutely does. Yeah, so now I'm listening, you know, so it's bees. it's a combination, you know. Now you're doing the that, birds and the bees. Is there a- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this, this book specifically that's coming up is about uh, birds of prey and how they compare to the girls I went to high school with. 
Let's talk about those girls who I think who you went to high school with. I think you know, yeah. there was a little long pause there, Catherine. I was waiting yeah. to please giggle a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd like to hear about that. The girls you went to high school uh, with. That's an interesting topic. Yeah. Um, so birds and the bees. And then uh, how much further out do you go? I mean, is it sort of like from one novel to the next, or you sort you sort of have a tradition? Trajectory, you know where you're headed in terms of w- what you want to write about or not? You know, it happens. The books come to you like, let, pretend you're standing on a train platform and you're looking down the station and down the tracks and you see your present book leaving. And you look the other way and here comes your next book coming up the tracks to you. And that's kind of how it works. For me, but I'll bet you you get as many different answers as you would ask a question to as many different people. So when you're talking to younger people, and I assume you give lectures and you talk about people, talk to maybe particularly women, young women who want to write and who want to make a difference because your books do make a difference, as you say, even though, uh, not even though they are novels, but there's a context for the research you do and topics that you're interested in. What do you tell young women who are who want to be able to do this and also I guess the second part of it is how do they balance writing raising a family which you've done uh, because that's a that's one of the big issues today as well and uh, not an easy thing to do you know I I think to answer your second question first you, you have to find time and whether that block of time is going to be at 5 to 6 in the morning before your kids get up or whether it's when they're in school, like from 8 to 2, or whether it's after they go to bed, you do this three nights a week from, you know, 8 to 11, you've got to find time and you've got to say, okay, I'm doing this and everybody else in the house needs to respect this and, and help me do this. So that's number one because it's a serious – it's not a joke to sit down and write a book. I don't care how bad your book is, you know. It doesn't matter. It's a serious endeavor for anyone. And then the next thing I would say is go deep. Go as deep in your heart as you possibly can to tell that truth as, as truthfully as you can. And don't worry about your Aunt Agnes and what she's going to say if your character uses a bad word or does something that's immoral or illicit. Don't worry about that. Write your book. Go deep. Write the story down. You can always change it later. Nobody owns it. You don't have a deadline right now. You know? So just go on, tell your story, and then later on you can worry about Aunt Agnes. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's great that's advice. I, I think another part of that is frustration. What I hear from authors, young authors, like that, what what they, how they handle themselves or keep going with it, um, even if they're trying to go deep, but when they get frustrated and when they get no when they don't get support, let's say from a, a spouse or family or partner who or whomever it is, and um, and that makes it really difficult. So, like, keep persevering, persevering, and how do you do that? How do you do that? You, stay, you, you have to really be focused, and you have to have a little fire in you to do this, you know, and you have to realize it's not a race. It's not a sprint. You know, it's a marathon. So each day you're adding a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. It's helpful if one day a week everybody can leave you alone so you have a whole day to fool with it. You know, I mean, those, you have to have time and you have to have uninterrupted time, no music, no telephones ringing, no nonsense. You're writing, you know, and of course, you know, the first few years you get this business from your family and your friends, they'll say, oh, well, I knew, you know, I knew you were home and just writing. So I thought I'd catch you like, don't, (laughs) 
you know, I work, I work every day from 10 to 2 seriously. And so if you call me after 10 o'clock or before 2 o'clock, I'm going to take the call because I'm going to assume that, you know, something terrible has happened and you need me right away. So, but if nothing's happening, you're just calling me to shoot the breeze between the working hours that I've told you, please leave me alone. I'm going to be very angry. You know, so it takes a little while for your whole family and friends and everybody to get used to that sort of thing. But this is serious. It's how I pay my bills. You know, just like you. It's my job. But, you know, one of the things I think that you're making really clear, and I think it's important sort of from the social worker perspective, is you create clear boundaries, and finally people get it. There are boundaries. Yes. You can't call me just because I'm home writing. Um, and But you really have to tell, and sometimes you have to tell other people, but they you might think that they would just be able to understand, but they don't. So I, I think that whole boundaries thing is, is really important. Um, yeah, as you're super describing. important. Yeah. This is what I do. This is how I do it. I don't think that people understand writing. You know, they understand if you go to work nine to five and work in an office, uh, although less people do that today, but still they don't really get it because, you know, it, it's a, it's such a personal private kind of thing. Is, is that true? Yeah, I, I think it's, there's a lot of solitude involved, and people don't understand that if they look through the window of your office and you're not writing, that doesn't mean you're not working. You're figuring something out. You're thinking about it. You know, I mean, there are a million things. You know, if I can't write, for, one, for example, I'll get up and leave my house and go walk around the block. Well, that doesn't mean that I'm out there to get some exercise and have a good time and see my friends. I'm out there trying to work out a writing problem. What about physical activity? Is that important? It should be, shouldn't it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I just came in from three weeks of book tour and I'm half dead, okay? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's probably best to get a little exercise all through the year so the book tour doesn't hit you like a ton of bricks. So, I was everywhere right. hauling suitcases. That, oh, a, my God. Where were You were all across the United States? Or was this international oh, or where was it? I mean, you know, you'd love to get out and, and see people who read your books and talk to them. It's really so nice, you know. It's, it's so nice that, that these terrifically nice people, not just women, but men as well, and young people, which is exciting for me. Um, you know, they get their hair blown out, they put on a cute outfit, and they come show up for lunch or whatever. And, um, you know, and we talk about life. And, and that's, I think that's the, the nicest part of my job. Without a doubt, that's the nicest part of my job. Well, it's but interesting because your day, job is you are sort of in isolation when you're writing, that which is part of your job, and then you go out and you meet the people who you're writing for, and that's connecting with people. How any uh, surprises? You mentioned old people, young people, men, women. Uh, surprise responses to the to you and to any one of your novels, not just Queen Bee. You know, I, I, listen, Catherine, that, that's such a loaded question. The answer to that is so far across the board. It goes from the woman who says to me, you know, my husband just read your book, too. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I read it. I liked it a lot. I go, oh, thank you very much. And she goes, well, I was reading it in bed, and I kept laughing. And he could say, what in the world are you laughing about? And finally, she's, I said, read this book. Okay, so that's, that, I hear that story a lot. But then there are stories that are very unique that I don't hear very often, like this one. I went to a nurse home. <clears throat> Gosh, I just happened to have a morning free. And so they had asked me if I would come if I had a morning. And I said, sure. So I drove over there and there were, there were maybe 25 people. It wasn't, you know, I mean, most, and frankly, most of them were asleep. But anyway, they were sitting <laughs> up there in the chair sleeping. And, but there was one precious, super 
elderly lady. I mean, she must have been in her 90s for sure, sitting up there with her her, um, aide, and she had on a pink sweater set. And she said, come here, I want to tell you a story. And I said, sure. So I walk over, and she goes, this is before the event begins. And she says, so I had a fall, and I had to get a prosthetic eye. And I said, oh, dear. And she said, this one. She pointed to it, and I said, wow, good job. It matches really well. I mean, like, you don't know what to say to me when they say these things to you, you know? So then she goes, yeah. Then my brother died. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. She said, I had to go to Connecticut. I said, okay. So she goes, well, I get to Connecticut. I go into the funeral mass, and I kneel down, and for some reason, the eyeball pops out. She said, so... It lands on her nephew's foot, and he yells at something he shouldn't have said. It was prayerful, but it shouldn't have been said in this way. And the church at the top of his lungs and picks it up. And she says, I'm on my hands and knees. I said, oh, my God, you can't make this stuff up, right? So, anyways, <laughs> so you hear everything. You're the confessional yeah. on book tour. I would imagine. I, you know, it sounds like the stories that I hear as a social worker, which is those are more typical of the of sort of the connections that I'm making, or, uh, but the, yeah. So you're you're in every. So you go to nursing homes. You go where else? Do you sure, go, go everywhere. Schools. You go to uh, yeah high, colleges. Are you, honey, I, sometimes you'll find me in the frozen food section at Kroger's. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I just I go wherever they tell me to go. I don't mind. And you never get tired of it. I mean, I'm thinking about like, no. being in a nursing home. Suddenly I'm thinking, okay, as one ages, as we all do, does that change? How does that change you as a writer? You know, you were writing at 43 and now you're writing a few years later. Um, your experiences are different. Your experiences with the people. Uh, how does that impact your writing? You know what? Sometimes I, I flinch a little bit when I walk into a situation with a lot of really elderly people because I worry that if I've written anything that's a little off color, it might offend them. But the truth is, they're the ones who always stop me and say, could you please write more of that stuff? Because life here is pretty dull. <laughs> that's a good point. And you're the one who you said you told younger people, just go forward and don't worry about Aunt Bessie when you're writing the book. That's right. Just write it. Right? And Bessie's delighted yeah. to read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it adds something to, you know, I mean, excitement and controversy and tension. That's good stuff, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, and then they so, also have yeah. something to talk about. They can talk about bees. Yeah. But, okay, there is, in, and I'm I just, I'm getting back to this whole thing because we, we only have a few minutes left. But, you know, how, I, I guess, the, age, the aging process just for you, um, how does that affect your... I guess your perspective on things and what you want to do with your, you know, the the next books that you want to write or book, whatever. Um, That's actually a really amazing question because the truth is, I think in the beginning that I always liked to write older women because I thought they had some kind of wisdom. And now that I am an older woman, I know we do have a lot of kinds of wisdom that young people don't have. But the problem is always how do you talk or how do you write to make people want to listen to whatever it is you want to say. So you've got to, you're right. You have to, you have to find a way to bring the message home in a way that somebody wants to receive it. That's, uh, yeah, I think that's well said. Um, we have a couple of minutes left. We'll, we'll kind of have to end on that note. But um, we can, uh, I want to make sure that everyone knows they can buy the book online, bookstores everywhere, uh, and Amazon. Uh, but Dorothy, what about websites that we can go to to sort of follow what you're doing? Hey, about the novel, you're writing the children's book next summer and oh, all the yeah. other stuff so, you do. 
So my website is www.frank.com. My daughter doesn't have a website up soon, but she will. Um, And, you know, you can also find me through the William Morrow imprint at HarperCollins. uh, And I'm on Facebook and Instagram as well. I mean, I I tweet, too. Occasionally, I tweet. (laughs) Oh, you do? And what does occasionally mean? Every day? Once a week? Once a month? No, it means like every... I'll I'll get a a tweet in my feed that someone I know tweeted something, I'll respond to it, and I go, wow, I tweeted. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't have the time for all this stuff, Catherine. You know what I mean? You write a book a year, you have no time for anything. I know, but you're so. a novelist, so you should be able to tweet. It shouldn't be any kind of a challenge, it would seem to me anyway, for you to tweet to write a few words after you write 20 novels. Just, it would be easy but it's to a tweet, time right? suck. You know, you get, your, you get in there, and the next thing you know, you're reading the tweets of about another 120 people. You know, yeah. and then I look up, and it's 11 o'clock, and I haven't even started work yet. So I, I try to avoid social media until the end of the day. Yeah. Great talking to you today. Um, thank yeah, you so much it. for being on the show. Yeah, Queen Bee is the name of the book, and Dorothea Benton Frank is the author. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 